I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation, and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Welcome to another episode of Syndicate. This season, we are exploring the strange, the thrilling, and the exotic with the Grindhouse Theater. Joining the Cinematic Roundtable today is the film professor, Cam Lewis, as we explore The Blob. Cam, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is uh, one of my favorite old classic movies. Really? Okay. So I approached you. I was like, I'm doing like grindhousey movies, like horror and all that stuff. Would you be interested? And you said yes. And you recommended The Blob from 1958. Why The Blob? Uh, it was so, yeah. I mean, when we were kind of talking about it initially, you're talking sort of these like B campy sort of horror films. And that's the one that just first comes to mind for me. Um, (laughs) because it's just so bad in so many great ways. It just really feels like, I don't know, is there a mystery science theater episode of it? I wouldn't be surprised, but, uh, it's really good. But yeah, I mean, we'll talk about this more later, but uh, doing some more research into it uh, ahead of this podcast, it's, uh, interesting to consider whether or not a lot of that was intentional or more self-aware than we might assume about an old film like that. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't think Mystery Science Theater would do that because it's a little too mainstream. I think That's a lot fair. of people yeah. know about They like the weird offshoot movies that no one's ever heard of, and they, they just make fun of those. But, yeah, The Blob. This was my first time watching The Blob 1958 because, like, Prior to this, because when you said The Blob, I was like, well, I've seen the remake when I was a kid, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but I never saw the original. And the original, like, it's the movie that started it all. Because, like, I remember growing up. I don't know about you. Did you read Goosebumps? I did. Yeah, a little bit. There was a Blob version 
of oh, really? Goosebumps. Yes. Oh, I missed that one. That's exciting. That was one of the few Goosebumps uh, books that I read because, like, it was the cover was the blob and it had a face on it <laughs> <laughs> in true Goosebumps fashion. And I'm reading it, and it was I was like, oh my god, the blob. So like, it had that cultural um, spark because like this was like the scariest film in the fifties, <laughs> the blob. And, I, and it makes sense because it's like, I think this was like the first alien movie that wasn't like a humanoid alien. It was just like, yes, yes. That's definitely ooze. true. This idea of a different type of alien life form. That's completely non-humanoid. Yeah. yeah, And that makes it so much scarier because it truly is the unknown. It is alien. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's this all consuming force. That's just eating everybody. <laughs> so with the blob, cause like I put it on, Cause I was like, okay, let's do the blob and I'm watching the blob and it's very interesting because like the movie starts with a theme song and like, yes, that I had forgotten. And that was something I forgot too. And I'm watching it and it's like this campy sitcom music where it's like mm-hmm. the blob and it oozes and creeps and, and leaps and it goes from the <laughs> walls and the floor. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And it's like a Dr. No style title yeah. sequence. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God. Cause like, I have a theory with that. I don't know if you know, but I'd love to hear your theory. I do know a couple of things about oh, it, but yeah. Okay. So I think they made the theme song before the script was written or maybe as the script was written. Um, I think it was like definitely made before the movie was put together. And they told the the people like, okay, we are making this movie. It's about like this blob. It comes from space and it's like moving around and like eating people. And like uh, the music people are like, okay. So (laughs) then they just make a a song about like, okay, the blob and it creeps and leaps. And it's like, this is so tonally different than the rest of the film. (laughs) Cause like the film, it's a horror movie. I mean, by today's standards, it's not that scary, but like, 50s it's like this horrifying movie and like mm-hmm. it starts with like this like upbeat poppy song about a blob <laughs> and it sounds like it's a comedy movie yeah but yeah. what do you know about this theme song yeah so a uh, little history lesson here uh the 50s were actually like a pretty big decade for sci-fi films and horror and kind of like studios figuring out what those genres meant, how to pitch and market those to audiences and things like that and by the end of the decade this came out in 1958 like you said um, sci-fi was kind of falling out of favor. So they weren't wanting to pitch it as, you know, this straight, like really serious sci-fi film and things like that. And the sci-fi genre was moving back towards more of an exploitation type film. Um, and so there was a lot of marketing gimmicks being just tried out for different ways to get audiences to come and see this. There's very clearly a teen audience was the target of this. And so after the film was made, which was by an independent filmmaker, um, in Pennsylvania, actually, and then he sold it to Paramount, I think it was, that made this, or that distributed it. Um, he, or the the studio then commissioned this song to be made as part of the marketing campaign, and I think they spent as much on the marketing campaign as they did the bio, which was around like $300,000 at the time, which is a lot of money back then. Um, and so they just thought that this song would help bring in more people, so like other songs at the time, like Purple People Eater and things like that, it has that same kind of a vibe. <laughs> Um, as those songs, but it actually hit number 33 on the Billboard Top 100 no, songs it didn't. that year. Yep. Oh my God. What a quaint time. <laughs> I know, right? A theme song for the blah would be like, oh man, I just, this song slaps. Put it I on know. the record player again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was blown away by that because I thought the same thing. Like, it feels so tonally different. Um, and then to learn that that was actually like a really specific thing 
that the distributing studio thought like this is really what's going to sell this movie to the kids is if we make this really cool pop song for them <laughs> they'll get uh bopping and blobbing i guess and apparently <laughs> they tried to commission a dance for it as well i didn't uh, find no. much more information about how that went or not but, oh yeah. my god yeah but there's a whole lot of marketing gimmicks along with it um another one that this was just funny i found in my research um there was a poster that they made for it i can send you the picture of it at some point and they put a warning on it that says the management of this theater disclaims any responsibility for heart attacks or damage to nerves resulting from the film. And then right next <laughs> to that, there was like a blue ribbon image that says certified as if it was something from like the MPAA or something, oh even though it wasn't God. at all. Yeah. So they were coming up with all these ways to like get people jazzed up. Um, but apparently research at the time had told them that the audiences for these types of movies are just as excited about the marketing gimmicks surrounding really? it, like those things as they are about going to see the movie, uh, which is just, yeah, really interesting. And maybe a little bit, there's the movie theater scene in the film where yes. all the kids are there in this small town and they're laughing at this bad horror film. So it's almost <laughs> this like recursive self-aware. Yeah. Look at, uh, wow. we're making the same kind of a thing. That makes so, yeah. sense. Yeah. I got those vibes during the movie theater scene. I was like, it's like, it's me watching the movie, watching people <laughs> watch the movie. It's like I'm looking at myself. But like the theme song and like the whole marketing around mm-hmm. this movie is like, it's so insane. And I yeah. wish this stuff happened still today. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And I do wonder if maybe there is still some more stuff like that, but we're just in markets where it doesn't show up as much. Right. Like, are there still weird things like this happening out in LA? I don't know. I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> you know, LA is such a weird place. I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised that they would just have like weird guerrilla marketing where it's like, yeah. okay, we're going to make a, a dance to the purge. We're going to do the purge right now. Like that would, I mean, that's the modern equivalent. Yes, of that's a great point. Crane yeah. the Blob song. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps <laughs> and glides and slides across the floor. Right through the what were they thinking with this? A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob. Because like the equivalent of like, imagine if they made an, ex- okay, they made the Exorcist movie and they had like this as like the theme song. Where yeah. it's like, and she goes down the stairs and her head goes everywhere. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a great point, and that's what I think leads me to believe that they knew this was campy, and they were doubling down on it being campy, that I don't think they necessarily really expected people to be horrified, um, but to go into it with a little bit of that self-awareness. Um, the There was another guy around the same time that worked for AIP and did a lot of the exploitation-type films aimed at teens named James Nicholson, and months before The Blob was released, he said this, and this was a quote from him, that his pictures typically would strive for unbelievability. Teenagers comprise our largest audience and they recognize this and laugh at the caricatures we represent rather than shrink in terror while adults who are more serious minded often miss the point of the joke. So I do wonder if like they, their audience is teens, they find this stuff funny, they maybe are listening to that song just like we are and just laughing that this is so ridiculous <laughs> that there's this song before this horror movie and maybe everyone's in on the joke except for I wouldn't be surprised if there was commentators at the time saying this is a gratuitous show of violence that we should never be showing our children and this is going to make them all turn into bad children that will drive backwards down the street. Yes. So, who knows? <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because there are those sticks in the mud that just aren't in on the joke and they just don't get it. It's like, this is terrible. This is rotting our children's brains. You don't understand. This is entertainment. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and there's little hints to that throughout. Another scene that stood out to me is it's just this short little scene just comes out of nowhere when the kids are all raising the alarm, honking their horns, playing the air raid siren. 
uh, and all of that. And then you, it cuts to this bedroom with an old man and old woman. And the old guy gets up and he's like, oh, it's the air raid siren. I've got to go. Where's my civil defense helmet? And he like goes over to the closet yes. and like finds a civil defense helmet and puts it on. And then he hears the fire trucks. He's like, oh, it's the fire trucks. I got to get my fire helmet. And he like goes and gets this fire helmet. And he's like, nothing like this has ever happened before. I don't know what to do. What and do it's I do? clearly such a joke at the middle of this like climax of the movie. <laughs> yes. It's just so funny. I was just, I was just so baffled by like, the tone inconsistencies because like you have like this horrifying creature of the mm-hmm. blob and then you have these comedic moments where this guy's like he doesn't know which helmets to wear he's like this yep, never yep. happened before what do i do and i also felt weird that he was putting on pants over his pajama pants yeah, that was, was another like, great moment <laughs> was like, that normal back then i don't know was maybe it was joke? not sure <laughs> <laughs> they put the pants up all the way up to like their belly button I, i'm going out honey yep <laughs> so before we go any further for those that are unfamiliar with the blob, Cam, how would you describe the blob movie? Uh ooh, I guess are are you asking from a perspective of like if I was describing what this entire thing is or if I was just like giving a plot synopsis? It's gonna be both either way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh well, the blob nineteen fifty-eight, I would say, is about a small town coming together to overcome um some misunderstandings or misjudgments about teens and young people as they don't believe that this meteor has fallen from space and a strange alien creature has come out of it and is now terrorizing the town but in the end they've got to come together work together as small town americans do and overcome this existential threat to their existence you made it seem so much cooler than it is (laughs) they have to come together meanwhile most of the film this movie stars stephen mcqueen yeah his first breakout lead Wait, role, really? actually. Yep, is his first lead role. Oh my god. He yeah. got a lot better, I must say. <laughs> I would hope so. Because like the I'm watching this so and I'm like, Steve too. McQueen? What? <laughs> yep. Because like I did no research into the Blob 1958. I was like, I'm going in with uh, the Blob 1988 in my head, and I'm watching yep. the film that started it all. And then Steve McQueen pops up and I'm like, what? And he's racing a car. And I'm like, yep. I see what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then like I'm watching it and like it's you know the meteor comes and then the blob comes out it kills that hobo. Yep. And the movie doesn't really get going yet like like that's in the background. The foreground is like Steve McQueen is like trying to like woo a lady and like he gets in I guess are his friends they're like excuse me you're not the king of this road. I'm going to race you. Well you yep. better race me backwards that's what you said and I'm like that whole scene was so wooden and it uh, yeah i'm not familiar enough with other 1950s films to know like is that just how people talk like is this like a general sense of the acting ability at the time i don't think it is it seems really bad and poorly acted but well everyone had the transatlantic accent back then because like they're like okay which is such a weird i i genuinely wish that would still be around today because like it's so weird because like it's such a it's a manufactured accent that's yeah. like it's bridging America and British so they made, they made up an accent like imagine if someone did that today like imagine it's like you know what <laughs> to appeal to everyone we're gonna make up our own dialects like what that's so weird but like everyone had I think okay this is my theory so it's the fifties <laughs> film is motion picture is relatively new ish I'm thinking. They're taking techniques from the theater and applying mm. it to film because like what they're doing would work if you're performing in front of a large audience 
and like you're projecting and this is how and then like everything with like the framing setup is very like wide and everything's in focus as if you're watching a stage play yeah that's what i think these early movies were trying to do it's like okay we we do that but we film it yeah we put together yeah and i think that that's that's interesting especially as you mentioned that it's a relatively new art form especially at the time and so people are trying to figure out like what is the language and grammar of this art form and pulling from other similar art forms and things um and so it's it is interesting to compare older movies and see like who was figuring this out and developing what became the real grammar of cinema and who was just more drawing from some of those older forms because there are older films um metropolis for example that like that was 1927 i think and so 25 years, 30 years before this um, and was way more innovative in the way that they were shooting some of the scenes and the way that they were juxtaposing images together. And then you 30 years later, somebody's still doing something that's pretty theatrical. <laughs> so, yeah, I will say there's the despite all the camp, I was surprised by a couple of particularly well-crafted moments. They're really? few and far between, but there were a couple that, again, in the context of how bad everything else was, really <laughs> blew me away. Um, but the one that really stood out to me was the introduction of the police officers in the police office. And it's like a really small thing that should like normally I wouldn't notice watching a movie the first time through, you know, or not for not having seen it in a while. It wouldn't stand out to me. But again, because of how bad everything else was, just this nice moment of craft stood out as a really interesting part. But they introduce it and introduce these three characters and their space in a single dolly shot that introduces one character then dollies to the left to introduce the other two characters mm -hmm. and then tilts down and we see this chessboard coming out of this drawer yes. and it's this really well choreographed scene that's introducing the characters with interesting blocking um revealing information visually to the audience mm -hmm. and it was just a nice little moment of like i don't know if that was the director i don't know if that was the cinematographer but somebody was like i had a great idea how to open <laughs> this scene and they did it they nailed it <laughs> Listen, I want to make a movie right now. And they made a movie yeah, exactly. for that yep. one scene. Exactly. And then the rest of the movie is like, okay, we're trying to camp it up and sell it to the kiddies. It's about a blob. <laughs> like, this movie was so, like, I give it a little bit of a pass. I was like, this is the 50s. Mm -hmm. But like, when you compare it to Metropolis, which was like high art in the yeah. 1920s, a silent <laughs> movie. I think they knew what they were doing. That's that's because like you mentioned that earlier. I think they knew what they were doing. It's like let's make it like a bad movie. Mm -hmm. It's like if someone were to look back at Snakes on a Plane like fifty <laughs> years from now, it's like they thought they were making this awesome movie, but this movie sucks. It's like you don't understand. It was made bad on purpose. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So I'm thinking the Blob is like that because like because this is it like in the Library of Congress. Like this is like a, a this is in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, and I'm like why. <laughs> I think it's be, well because it's such a cultural milestone. Like we're still talking about the blob yeah, right for now, sure. um, and it's the first of its kind. But like for <laughs> this movie, like I I know other Criterion Collection movies. Like this this is in there. Yeah, like, it's it's just very it's very, it it's very a out of place. It's very out of place. Like this weird 1950s B movie. But then again, are we talking about any other 1950s B movies? Because like there has been a plethora of like. Yeah. Maybe like the 50 foot woman, but, but like the giant spider, like in the dinosaurs. And it's like, yeah, just the blob. Yeah. Remained. Well, the, the blob was actually released as a, like, I can't remember what he called like a double header or something like that. Um, double build with another 
sci-fi movie called I Married a Space Alien or something like that. And I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever even heard of that before. So the fact that the blob apparently rose above, I think, is telling. Yeah, I think it's because of Steve McQueen. <laughs> That's true. That's another good point that it was his kind of kickoff film to his career, which became much more well-known. So, of course, people will trace back and see where did you start? Right. And that gives it some more staying power. Right. Like if Steve McQueen was not in this movie, I don't think it would be it would, it would be like a cult movie. It's like, oh, you know, the blob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like if he wasn't in it, no way. Yeah, there's no way this would have rose yeah. above. Well, I guess in a way, then it is like the blob itself. To quote the nurse from early on in the film, Doctor, nothing can kill it. <laughs> we'll just keep on going along and going along in this movie, despite all appearances uh, to the contrary, will still be well loved by people. Yeah. So, like, let's talk about the blob creature. So, the blob is like, I mean, given the special effects of the 1950s, this was pretty good. Except that for I one scene. <laughs> like, I was like, I, I, I mean, it's clearly not real but i was like you know i'm gonna believe it for the film i'm gonna ex- uh, yeah, decent special effects yeah kind of practical kind of stop motion exactly like it, it was pretty good except for one of the stop motion effects where you could see this giant fingerprint on the blob creature and i'm like that just took me out of the immersion like i was like i was like okay i'm gonna be immersed there's a blob killing people and then i see this giant thumbprint <laughs> on like what it looks like silly putty stop motion i'm like oh <laughs> That's so funny. I they missed tried. that. That's great. I have to keep an eye out for that next time. <laughs> I forget which scene it was, but I think it was like coming out of the uh, the, the, the doctor office. And it's oh, like yeah. coming out and it's like rolling this mm-hmm. giant thumbprint right in smack dab in the middle. And I'm like, oh, oh well, all right. They tried. <laughs> but like the special effects were good. Like it, it's, it blended together. It looked pretty decent. Like for yeah. 1950s, it was good. I've seen worse for sure. <laughs> oh, I've seen way worse. I've seen worse now. Yes. With today's okay. movies. God. And like, they're trying. <laughs> it's not like, oh, we're going to make it bad on purpose. Like, no, they tried. Yeah. They had a budget of 10 bucks and it's like, okay, you have to do this in five minutes. Ugh, there you go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> so like the movie, like the blob, 1958, there's a lot of interesting subtext with the film. Because, like, I don't know if you caught on to it. I don't know what was going on in the climate of the 1950s. But, like, you know, you had the space race going on. We didn't, we haven't gone to the moon yet. Mm-hmm. Like, there's this craze of, like, oh, it's, it's the, the atomic age. We're going to live on Mars. And with the blob, it's, like, this fear of the unknown in people's mm. minds. And, like, the blob is, like, this perfect manifestation of that. And... I think it just works great, to be honest. And the point that I'm trying to make is that with the Blob movie, there's only one thing that could stop the Blob. Like they tried, they tried guns, they tried <laughs> fire, they tried stomping on it. Even, uh, what was it, chloric acid that the, yep. the nurse <laughs> threw on it. But only one thing stopped it. Fire extinguishers. <laughs> and like, as the movie progresses, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? Yes. I feel like Shaun of the Dead lifted this scene from the blob where it's like they're in the house. The blob is like consuming the house. The blob is about to break through the windows and get in. And like there's a fire and there's smoke everywhere. And our heroes 
seem you know they're in peril and this is the end and i thought the movie was going to end like this i was like damn this is why it's in the criterion collection this is why this movie has such an impact they're going to kill our main heroes they're going to kill the cast the blob <laughs> is not going to be stopped and this is how the movie ends and then i think it was uh the girlfriend character jane martin she was mm-hmm. like she started spraying it and like steve mcqueen's like excuse me honey give me that and he starts spraying the blobs like CO2, CO2, we need CO2. And he like fire, he uh, radios the fire department and yep. they're like, we need CO2. <laughs> That's what I know. We're plenty of fire extinguishers. And they take a whole bunch of fire extinguishers and they like freeze the blob yep. <laughs> with a bunch of fire extinguishers. And that blew my mind because it's like, how campy. <laughs> and. What's interesting is the military didn't want to get involved because they didn't believe yes. the blob was real because yeah, they thought which was a theme throughout the whole thing. It's yes. much more of a boy cried wolf story than the remake because yes. nobody believes Steve or Jane for most of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you're a bunch of hooligans. Well, okay. In the blob, they thought it was like a prank. A bunch mm-hmm. of pranksters are around. Everyone's in on the joke. What, what's happening? Oh, come on, Sarge. That's a, just a joke. Like, they don't believe that. I mean, I wouldn't believe it either if you said, like, yeah. there's a. And, like, Steve McQueen, I don't know if, I don't know what age he's supposed to be, whether he's supposed <laughs> to be, like, 15, 17, yeah, 35. Like yeah, he looks 35. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to graduate high school. And he has, like, wrinkles all over his face. <laughs> But, like, he's like, I saw a monster. A monster ate the doctor. A monster broke in. And it's like, what? This would be believable if it was, like, a child saying yeah. this. But, like, a grown person saying, I saw a monster. A monster <laughs> killed this person. And I'm like, oh, my God. What am I watching? <laughs> what am I watching, Cam? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, even with bad films, I think that they're always interesting cultural artifacts because regardless of why they were made, how they were made, the people at the time had certain thoughts based on the culture that they were a part of, and then they embedded them into a cultural artifact like film. And so we can go back and look at those and get at least hints. Obviously, there's going to be multiple interpretations of any particular media text and things like that. Um, But we can take educated guesses. And it does seem like, I wonder... With this movie, despite how poorly it's put together in a lot of ways and how campy some of those scenes are like that, um, was there a general sense at the time of uh, the teens these days, the kids these days, they don't really understand. And so they're just playing these pranks. It's all a big joke to them, but they didn't serve in the war. That was a thing that the police sergeant said. He's like, they just are like, they, they, I can't remember what he said now, but something about like, they don't respect the fact that I had to like serve in the war and I had all of these experiences right. and they just don't understand. And so they're playing these pranks, trying to pull my leg and get under my skin. <laughs> um, and I wonder if this movie was an attempt to kind of pull together this idea that like maybe the boomers, whatever they called that, you know, age of person back then were, shouldn't be having those presuppositions about the teens that the teens could actually be telling the truth Mm. about things. They're not just pranksters. They can come up with ideas. Uh, And so even though maybe the whole thing came together as too campy to take seriously, I wonder if there was some sense beneath the surface of trying to tell that type of a story. I think uh, I have a quote here from the producer, Jack Harris. So he was the producer of the blob 1958 um, also was producer on the 1988 remake, which is interesting. Um, but he said that he thought 
it would be effective to combine a science fiction narrative with teenagers who are good, if also misunderstood or misperceived by their culture. And so I think, I, I don't know, maybe there was a, at the time a sense that like the teens are just bad, they're hoodlums racing their cars. Mm -hmm. And so trying to um, speak against that, that maybe the teens can do good things. Maybe this next generation is coming up and can be meaningful. Right. Like when the police officer said that line about like, oh, I served in the war. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That war, World War Two, was barely mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Like it's yeah. still fresh. And yep. it's like these kids are like trying to get under my skin and they're playing pranks and they're trying to they're disrespecting me. So it's like I wish this movie kind of softened the camp tone and like had that subtext in the forefront where it's like mm -hmm. like we can all come together as like Americans and like fight whatever existential threats is coming yep. our way and like work together intergenerationally. Yeah. It's like Yep, yep. That could have been Which an it really awesome did story. Well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's especially we haven't gotten into comparing the two, but I think that's one of the biggest differences ideologically or worldview wise between this 1958 version and the yes. 1988 version is how by the end, everyone's working together, young and old, um, authority figures, non-authority figures, everybody came together, solved the problem. And then even the federal government comes in and they're like, yeah, we'll uh, bring in a big old airplane. We'll take this thing to Antarctica so it'll stay yes. frozen. And uh, everyone worked together. Everyone ultimately trusted each other. And it was all good. We could do this together, which, again, maybe was a sign of the times that there was still some sense of the American project. We could come together in this and succeed at things. Right. And we saw that lead into things like going to the moon and things like that mm -hmm. was uh, at least um, the prevailing narrative is that that was due to American ingenuity. And we're all in this together and we can overcome anything wow. that we put our minds to. And that was not at all the case in the 1988 version. No, <laughs> like both films are postmodern because postmodernism started after World War One. So it's like, mm -hmm. but it's like two different takes. Like one's like very yeah. nihilistic and one's kind of optimistic when it comes yeah. to like the future of uh, the country and like people working together. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I did notice the tonal shift from like the original film and then the 1988 version. Yeah. Um, and like for me, I just knew the 1988 version. I knew there was like an, an older 1950s version, but like seeing like the difference was like pretty stark. And like, mm -hmm. I would compare it to like the thing because like the thing from the 1980s is completely different than the thing from the 1950s. If you saw, mm -hmm. if you saw, I actually movies. haven't yet, but it's on my list. It's another one of those ones that I want to go back and see and kind of do that comparison. Okay. It's, it's it's almost it's a very similar comparison where it's like you have like this optimist it's the same story both of them mm -hmm. they're the same exact story but like one is has an edge to it but not only that it's like nihilistic at the same time mm -hmm. and i think that's just the sentiment of the, the 1980s and it yeah. makes sense there's a lot there's a lot of shit going on in the 1980s with like yeah. russia and then like uh, yeah, and post-Vietnam, post-Korea, yes, exactly. definitely a different sentiment of the public about what was going on in the world, what the government was doing. Yeah. Exactly. And so let's get into the remake. But before we do, actually, let's close out the 1958 version because, like, what was interesting, what would be, like, an awesome – and I'm going to unpack it a little bit later, but, like, what would have been an awesome sequel to, like, this? Because, like, Steve McQueen says, as long as the Arctic stays frozen – the blob will, you know, won't be in our skin. And I'm like, I thought that was oh, so funny. that hits a little different now. Yep. yep. <laughs> An awesome scene. If it were to be remade now, 
they could have take like the climate change, global warming uh, aspect of it, and like, mm-hmm. and then the blob comes back because like the Arctic's warming up, and then the, yeah. then they have to figure out another way to get rid of the blob. Maybe like yeah, send it out. We're cold enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think if they nuked it, it would have been dead. <laughs> You're saying that if we shoot the blob into the sun, they would still live? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so like, way to find out. Because like they even said like, why don't we blow it up? The governments drop a bomb on it, then there'll be blobs everywhere. We can't do that. <laughs> or what? Or was that in the remake? I think that was in the original. Okay. Because I think the I would just blow it up just like we did with Japan. Yeah, I don't think anyone in the government in the <laughs> sequel wanted to kill it until the very very end that's right and then they just try to blow it up and then it does get bigger so yeah (laughs) so like i'm watching okay so let's get into the remake so i'm watching it and i'm like i'm glad i saw the original first then the remake because i was like this is the same exact story this is just a modernized more exciting version of the original (laughs) and then the government subplot gets involved yeah and i'm like oh this is interesting (laughs) because like I saw this when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I think this informed me about the government because like we had ET or the government was like the antagonist. We had yep. uh, the blob or the government's evil and like all these other movies where it's like the government's bad, the, yeah. the G men, like you have to beware <laughs> of the government. They're going to, and they all come in with like these white astronaut suits where yep. it's like, it, it's, it's a scary image. It's like, Ooh, like this is very frightening. But like when the government got involved and like they, I don't know if this was, I don't know if this was intentional, but they kind of imply that it wasn't alien, the blob. Because, mm-hmm. like, in the original film, you have the meteor come in, and then the alien comes out, and it starts killing everybody. And then in the remake, you don't really see the crash, but then they unearth it later in the film, and it's like a probe. It's a satellite. Yeah, it's, like, clearly a man-made object. Yeah. So it's like, oh, like, this, they were testing a weapon to use against mm-hmm. the Russians. Yeah. And it ends up being, like, this parasitic life form type thing yeah and it's like is it an alien or is yeah. it man-made or is it a alien that they engineered to be right. a weapon and they're now trying to turn it into a weapon so crazy fan theory this is a sequel in fact and they did find it in antarctica yes. and the government had covered up all of you know its existence and things and had been removed from the record so then some expedition uncovers it and the government takes it from them and then starts experimenting on it uh, not knowing what had happened 30 years before because all of those records have been expunged yes. and then this all happens. Oh my God. I got chills because like, <laughs> that's, so, that's it's so cool. Um, because like you just need one line of dialogue. Like, you know, we found this in Antarctic about 30 exactly. years ago. And it's like, there you go. That's it. That <laughs> one line would have been like, Oh my God, this is a sequel. Exactly. Like, I got those vibes a little bit. I was like, this could be like a sequel because, like, they're engineering it. Not like, oh, we've never seen this before. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. But that also hits different nowadays. So it's uh, right. interesting to. They to quarantine see that the well. city. Yep. And I'm like, e. <laughs> like, it's just so interesting how, like, this movie from like 40 years ago just hits so much different because of the context of what we went through for the last mm-hmm. few years where we have um, quarantining where the government's like, you need to like stay home mm-hmm. this parasite uh, engineering uh, parasites, which happened. Well, I mean, it's not confirmed with COVID. I'm not going to say that it's confirmed, but it's <laughs> most likely, you know, a bioweapon that escaped a lab. Um, so like 
there's like all these little themes or it's like as a modern audience watching this film, it's like, I can relate to this. Like, this is still pretty topical, not topical, but like relevance where it's mm. like, I don't need to extend my disbelief too much because like this kind of happened, <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah. Um, the huge difference that we were talking about is like this distrust towards the government and there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That wasn't present in the original film at all. It's like, we need the government's help, but they don't believe us. Now they're helping. And like with this, it's like, government is bad. And yeah, like, just like no holds barred. They're just the bad guys straight up. <laughs> and like, like to the point that they're like, just shoot them or lock them in the sewer. It doesn't matter. We yes. just need to, we just need to capture this thing again. And it reminded me of like the, actually, have you read Jurassic Park? No. Okay. So they kind of do this in Jurassic World, but in Jurassic Park, the book, um, John Hammond, is that his name? The guy that runs the park? Anyways, mm -hmm. the man that created Jurassic Park, um, he, when the dinosaurs were loose and like they were like killing everybody, he told his men, do not kill the dinosaurs. <laughs> but sir, they're, they're killing everybody. It's like, no, that is my, that is my, those are my assets. You cannot, yeah. you must stun them. You must capture them, but do, do not kill them. So like that wasn't present really in the movie, but like in the book, it was like he, he valued his dinosaurs more yeah. than human life. And like the yeah. same thing with the blob where it's like, do not kill the blob. Yeah. It's interesting how that's been a recurring theme, but the um, person enacting it has sometimes shifted because in that, that's like a private enterprise who's saying assets are more important than human lives. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens in Alien and the whole Alien franchise. Yes. It's like all about Wayland yutani Corp. It's like, we just need to get this alien for weapons research, but it's a private company. But then in the blob, it's the government doing it, not a private company. So I don't know. I wonder if there's something more to analyze there about how public perspective shifting towards um, it's not maybe the corporations that are bad. It's the government that's bad, or I don't know. Maybe it's just everyone right. always thought both were bad. I'm not sure. <laughs> I like the stories that like conflate the two where it's like in the far future where corporations are the government. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which feels a lot like the alien franchise for sure. Yes. Or it's, you know, things like a private company being funded by the government to do weapons research or something like that. And it almost seemed like it was maybe a little bit of that in the blob because the I'm trying to remember what it said on their hazmat suits, but it had something that almost looked like a corporate logo or something like that. Like they were a company right. doing research for the U S government. Right. Because like when I saw this as a kid, uh, the iconography that was telegraphed to me, to me was like, this is the government. 
it's very similar to like ET too, where it's like, yeah. this is like a government entity. And I'm watching this now and I'm like trying to find logos or like <laughs> uh, insignias, nothing. They don't even say yeah. what they are. They, they, who is this? EPA? Yeah, nobody had like official US uniforms. There was a flag on the probe, but I don't think any of the hazmat suits had American flags on them or anything like so that. So it could so. be, it could be like a weapons research. Yeah. Company. Military industrial complex. Exactly. Maybe it's Boeing. Maybe it's Lockheed Martin. Like, yeah. <laughs> who knows? Like, there was no American flags on their uniforms. To, like, if they were like government workers, they would be like, they would have flags on them. They would have like their their alphabets uh, organization. But like, no, nothing. And that's what surprised me the most because like I was like, what are these people? Because they they pop in like I think the third act. And they don't announce who they are. It's just like, we're quarantining the city. This is a test run. This is successful. Can't wait to use it against the Russians. Yep. <laughs> it's the Cold War, guys. Yeah. And I do wonder, I didn't have enough time to do some research into like audience or critic responses to the 1988 version, but I assume this hit a lot different then too. Still kind of at the, maybe right. not the height of the Cold War, but there's still this idea of... uh this antagonism with Russia, that things could boil over. There's still a chance that nuclear war is about to happen. We do still need to, you know, pull all this together to be better than they are. So it would be interesting to read up on some of what people were saying or how they were responding to it in light of that at that time. I don't think it resonated very well because unlike the original, which was a success, this was a flop. <laughs> monetarily. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. look up the box office numbers for this one. So it, it they didn't make their budget back. At all. Oof. It, it was a That's bomb. too bad because it was a surprisingly well put together movie. Again, like the effects are, I guess it's it's like the inverse. The 1958 version was so poorly put together and then did so well. And then this one was actually pretty well put together. Good effects, you know, pretty sensible storylines and pretty interesting moments. And then apparently flopped. So, yeah, it just, you just never know. The special effects, like, because I saw it, I think it was like under 10. My friend showed me because I think. His uncle liked horror movies like, oh, mm. or maybe we saw it on TV. I don't know. But we saw the blob somehow. <laughs> and like, it like scared me as a kid. Because like, Same. I was so freaked out because of the effects of like how people were dying, yes. like getting sucked down through the sink and like the snapping bones and things. It was horrifying. <laughs> I was scarred. And like, it was like, it felt like a real threat to me. I was like, when the blob comes, I'll be ready. Just run. <laughs> like, I thought it was going to be like a real thing. I was like, this is preparing me for if I, if I ever encounter a blob. Yeah. <laughs> but like, like the scenes were like, this, like the special effects and like the entire story pacing with this movie is so well done. Like mm -hmm. in the beginning, you're, we're introduced to like this couple Kind of yeah. similar to like the original Blob movie, mm -hmm. and like in the first five to ten minutes, the the leading quote leading man gets killed off immediately. Yeah, I think it was about the thirty minute mark. I stopped it to find out like how early did this happen, and it's yeah about the thirty minute mark that he's just dead. So I think that's another thing. Maybe this is what didn't quite jive with audiences is it was maybe doing too much with playing with the genre and, right. you know, messing with those expectations. Which now looking back, it's like wow, that was really clever. Mm -hmm. They were really you know. Um, getting into the weeds of audience expectations in a horror genre and then subverting those expectations. And maybe at the time, audiences weren't wanting to be subverted. They just wanted to right. go in and have the movie they expected. So, right. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think if this movie was, I'm going to say it, it's probably going to be remade again. And it's not going to hit because, like, 
we've we've already had the subversion with the Blob yeah. 1988 version that played with the genre. It's like, yeah, you're used to these conventional tropes. Well, we're going to subvert that, and it's going to be yeah. interesting and, and awesome. It's like we had that already. So if they were to yeah. do it again, it would be like uh nostalgia wank. <laughs> exactly. And I feel like they'd probably try to play it straight and it just wouldn't work because, yeah. again, we all know all the tropes and then we know all the tropes got flipped. And so what's left? You can't do either now. So what Nothing. is it going to be? Yeah. It might be a Shutter exclusive. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Remember the Blob guys? I remember the. It'll be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, on Netflix. Like, remember Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah. I don't want to watch this. Why? Why are you making this? It's unneeded. Like with the Blob remake, they remade it too early. They should have just waited. But mm. like, what was awesome is like that original producer from the original film yeah. was involved with the remake, and I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I feel like, especially after glancing at the official sequel made by the same producer in the <laughs> 70s, I think he was probably really happy to finally, like, this is probably what he had intended to right. make all along. And it, like, actually came together with the right budget, the right people. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you had Frank Darabont involved. And, like, Frank Darabont, like, he is, like, the perfect guy to, like, take a B-movie plot and elevate it to, like, this awesome horror movie. Because have you seen The Mist? Yes. The Mist is is very similar to The Blob, too, where it's like this campy, B-movie aesthetic plot. And mm-hmm. then it's just, like, awesome because, like, he elevates it to, like, an actual <laughs> horror movie. So he's the guy. And what was interesting, you've seen The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Dale was in it. Dale was in the 1988. I'm watching. I'm like, oh, that's Dale from <laughs> The Walking Dead. So it's like, who who's involved? Frank Darabont, of course. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Of course. Yeah, it's so interesting. And and in addition to some of those genre subversions, I think it was pretty progressive in terms of um Meg, the girlfriend, mm-hmm. being actually, you know, capable. She was coming up with solutions to things as far as like the her co-star Brian, played by Kevin Dillon. Yeah. Um they were both pretty equal, I think, in like saving yeah. each other and coming up with good ideas and everything. And so that was cool to see that like in the 1980s, that was happening. People were putting forward these uh, female roles that had agency that did things. They weren't just like the 1958 version Jane, who's just like, what happened to the puppy? You know, uh, so. I'm glad you bring that up because like, <laughs> as I'm watching the 1958 version, I, I just noticed that the girls involved were just eye candy. They're yeah. just there to be there. like yeah. they, And to comfort the male heroes yes. like when they meet back up and it's like it's okay steve <laughs> yes and like i don't know if it was i mean it had to be the fashion of the 1950s where like the girls are wearing these dresses with these petticoats underneath and it's like <laughs> wow this is a different vibe yeah. very different vibe <laughs> and then with the 1988 version it's like oh meg is doing her own thing like yeah. she like as i'm watching i'm like this would pass like the black bell test where it's like we have a woman character that's like doing her own thing and she's not like really hindered by like a man. She's not there to serve a dude. It's like, she's yeah. just doing her own thing. And, and like one of the, one of the sequences that like stood out to me since I was a kid was they're going through the sewer system. Mm-hmm. I don't know if sewers are that big, but it's like this huge, like, yeah, <laughs> like corridor. And they're like, yeah, trying especially to... in a small town like that, but yes. it looked cool. It was, it was very cool. I expected the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles to pop out. <laughs> shredder and so like they're they're running and like she is like trying to like help these two kids escape too and one of the kids dies yeah and like watching that i'm like whoa even like (laughs) now it's like yeah 
movies don't kill kids. And no. like, this was like one of the kids. Yeah, they're dead. Yep. <laughs> you see them melt. And I'm like, this did not pull any punches. No. And it was just, it was just satisfying to watch mm-hmm. a movie where it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that you can do when you subvert a genre that has so many tropes. But then once it's been subverted, then yeah, it, it sort of develops these new tropes, becomes more um, expected and things. But this one, I think, came at a time when a lot of those weren't necessarily expectations right. for genre subversion. So totally agree that that really elevated the film beyond just a oh, basic yeah. sci-fi or horror kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. I was a little surprised at how not traumatized people were by the end because like <laughs> the, you, you mentioned the kid getting killed in the sewer and that was like Meg's um brother's best friend they're yeah. like hanging out the whole time and like then they do like run into the blob and then the friend <laughs> dies and then at the end of the movie the other kid is just like oh it's snowing it's so pretty and it's like you're not traumatized <laughs> right now you're not just like whimpering in a corner but yeah you know maybe he has ptsd and he, that's how he's that's true he's rationalizing yeah exactly exactly i do think now, the my, like, my, oh my biggest God. gripe with the movie is how the climax comes together because felt rushed and it felt like they solved the problem of how to freeze the blob in a way that wasn't really logically consistent as much um, as right. in the original. Cause in the original, the building's actually burning down and they start trying to put out the fire and then notice. And then it's like, they connect back to the freezer and everything. But in this one, it like kind of happens similarly, but then Kevin Dillon's character just disappears for a while. And then suddenly <laughs> he's just like driving back with the ice truck, even though he wasn't around when they discovered that the CO2 would work as far as right. I remember. So I was right. a little confused about like how that all, maybe they cut some scenes. Maybe he, there was a, a moment where he noticed that that was happening and was like, I should go get the ice truck. Um, so that would be my only gripe. Other than that, structurally, it works really well. I think, like you said, the pacing is good. The characters are interesting. Um, the genre subversions are great. And that was the, the I guess it's like the opposite. Again, the inverse um, where that one nice camera blocking setup in the original really <laughs> stood out because everything else was so bad. This really stood out as bad because everything else was pretty good. So, right. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Frank Darabont like ran out of room and was like, <laughs> well, we need to get to the point where, because like it was set up throughout the entire movie yeah. where it's like, mm-hmm. uh, Meg is looking at a snow globe. Yeah. Um, and then like, there's some other scenes where it's like, Oh, so you- much setup. You They're need like, to freeze oh, ski the block. season's coming. Yes. Yeah. Oh wait, say, what were you just saying? They're gonna like uh, the scene with the priest where he goes into the the freezer and like the blob oh, yeah. is the crystals. Yeah. Like there's so many little tiny. It's like oh, you need to freeze the blob to stop yes. the blob. Yep. But I think you're right. The payoff wasn't very good. It just didn't. Yeah. It's just like their realization of oh, this will solve it. Just happened so fast. It didn't quite feel like it made enough sense. But again, that's being nitpicky in the midst of things working pretty well otherwise. Right. Um, but the priest thing that you just brought up, that's, yes. I think, one of the most interesting parts of the movie really? is the little tag at the end that hints that there could even still be a sequel or something. Because, <laughs> like, watching... So I, I saw it, like, when I was younger, and I didn't really revisit the blob, but I remember mm-hmm. that scene where, like, he had it. So he took the crystals, put it in, like, this glass jar... And then at the end of the movie, he becomes like a doomsday preacher where he has like a tent in the middle of nowhere and he has like his little congregation. He's like, fire and brimstone, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into his back room. I think one of his helpers is like, what's that? And then he pulls it up, pulls it up to the screen and the blob is in there alive, this little tiny thing. And he's just like, 
What did he say? He was like, I'm waiting for God the, to tell the woman, me. The woman asks, when will the apocalypse happen, essentially? Oh. And then he says, the Lord will tell me when, essentially inferring that yes. he's going to release the blob again yes. and cause the end of the world, or he'll hope to. Because like, watching the original one, because I, I forgot the context of like why he had the blob in the jar. I was mm-hmm. like, that's kind of weird. And then watching this where it's like, as long as the Arctic stays frozen, it's like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, a little hint. Yeah. And then with the original one, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to like, he's completely unhinged. And he's like, I'm waiting for the, the right moments to unleash the end of the world yeah. in his hand. It's like, oh, because like, here's my through line. And I don't know if you made the, the same comparison where it's like in the original film, it was the atomic age. They had bombs. They just mm-hmm. used it on Japan. And like man had destruction at their fingertips with the atomic bomb and hydrogen bombs. And then fast forward to 1988, this dude also has destruction in the palm of his hand in the form of a new weapon, (laughs) the blob. Yes. So it's like, it's a little bit of a subtext. It's like man has this power to destroy the world. And yet, should we have that power? Yeah, I think that's a good comparison and an interesting through line, like you said. I think it's it's the whole preacher thing and the government thing and all of that. I think another cultural comparison perhaps is just the idea of um, the role of authority in culture in general, because it's easy to point out like just the government, but also like the priest is an authority figure. The police are authority figures. Um, and in the remake, pretty much all authority figures are bad. None of them are doing helpful things. Um, whereas in the original one, there's at least a police lieutenant is like, well, Steve's a good kid. So like, I want to keep hearing him out. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I believe him. Something's going on. And then like, by the <laughs> end, it's like the fire brigade came and like, they're all helping out. And like all the police yeah. are on board now. And even the old war veteran sergeant guy, like he uses his war skills to get out the sniper rifle and shoot the electrical transformer yes. to fall on it, to try to zap the, yes. the blob and everything. And so like, they're all coming together. And so it definitely, by the end, wasn't saying authority's bad, we should distrust authority. It was just saying, once we can actually communicate effectively, we can mm. trust each other. And yeah. I, I, that felt a lot more optimistic, obviously, than the end of this one, which is like, all the authorities are bad. Nobody came through to help out. It was just the kids on their own. The next generation is alone in all of this. And there's still bad authority figures out there who have the power to destroy us, and we don't even know it yet. And that's just like so much more nihilistic. And, yes. uh, and maybe that goes back to your comparison of the thing and the thing right. from outer space or from another world yeah. uh, from the fifties and a similar kind of ending. That's just uh, depressing. And I, maybe that was also a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Cause like in the 1950s, we're building America. Essentially mm-hmm. we're still, we're almost in that, I mean, I don't know if we ever had a golden age, but if we had a golden age, it'd probably be mid-century because, like, we had awesome architecture. Our cars were awesome. Like, yeah, civil rights weren't very good. But, like, everything aesthetically with America, like, everything was new. We're building highways. We're building skyscrapers. We're trying to go to the moon. Like, like America could never be better. And, like, when you flash forward to the 1980s, we're seeing the decay start to seep in. Where like we have corporations that are running America dry and are we can't truly trust the government because like like back in the nineteen fifties, like we stopped the Nazis, we stopped the Axis powers, like there's this mm-hmm. high form of patriotism. And then once yeah. you go through Watergate, once you go through Vietnam, once you go yeah, through realizing Korea, that the civil rights movement didn't solve a lot of those problems that exactly. we were told it solved. Yeah. 
Yeah, like I'm like we're we're seeing the cracks in the armor and like the armor's falling apart and it's like yeah. that's what that's the viewpoint of America and it's like mm-hmm. oh we're seeing the empire decay now and it's like yeah. art is going to reflect that where it's like mm-hmm. we're not happy anymore and it's like we're seeing that with like horror films especially because like what's what's a great horror like an existential dread and also <laughs> like our institutions are failing us it's like we can't truly really trust anybody anymore and like that's yeah. that's where the true horror comes from it's like hence why game of thrones is so popular because it's like it deconstructs like, so you have like tolkien's fantasy and i know this is like a crazy tangent right now but like we have <laughs> you have tolkien's fantasy where it's like you know like these like greats like um pillars of like this world and then george r, r. martin is like let me deconstruct that <laughs> and like he makes it like postmodern and nihilistic and yeah. it's like and it's more realistic in that regard but it's like people don't want realism people want yeah. uh an idea to strive towards and like yeah with these and horror i think that's movies. a really good point yeah like because like in the original film like you how how greatly you put it like all these different peoples from different backgrounds and different facets of society are working together as one cohesive group and then with the remake we have people that are just can't trust any can't trust anybody at odds with one another and it's like that's not an uplifting message i'm not expecting (laughs) an uplifting message from a horror movie but like that's not an uplifting message it's like it's a sign of the times yeah yeah i think for me as a filmmaker that that's where the question comes to a head is like right now how do we tell the truth about the way the world is the way that things are broken deconstruct things that need to be deconstructed and yet still offer some kind of a glimmer of hope or like you said a vision to strive for in a way that doesn't feel hokey or rose-colored glasses or things like that. And I think that that's the edge that artists are always trying to walk is how can I be truthful, but also um, hopeful. And those often, Mm. unfortunately, seem at odds. But uh, I trust other people are feeling that in the times we're in right now. And hopefully we'll see some films coming out that that strike that balance well that can right. that we can all say that was really true about how the world is but now i see a way forward and i feel like that's something that's definitely been missing lately do you think a24 films hit that mark uh i guess i can think of more examples from a24 <laughs> that don't necessarily but there may be so what do you think i think so because like have you seen uh was it moonlight Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like I can see that one that deals with like racism and like mm-hmm. prejudices and like what it means to be like a man, especially like a black man. And, but there's like this sense of like this glimmer of hope at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where it's like, it's like it's, it doesn't pull its punches on like what the problems are right yeah. now, but it's yeah. like, it's not all bad. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easier said than done. It's like, oh, just, you know, just showcase all the bad, but like, just show a little bit of good too. But you have to like do it in like an eloquent way. But yeah, like, that feels authentic. But I think that's yeah. a great example. Yeah. I had forgotten that that was 824. I guess like things like uncut gems are the first thing that comes to mind for me. And I'm like, that is not hopeful at all. Hereditary, Midsummer. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I would totally agree. Moonlight's a good example of, of being very truthful to people's authentic broken experience but still having some of that hopefulness at the end have you seen first reformed yes yes that's another movie where it's like by the end of the movie like this broken man finds purpose that's such a good movie yeah that one's uh (laughs) uh that one's a tricky movie i think because of the the use of the 
anti-hero element. It's like an untrustworthy narrator. And so like mm. he finds purpose, but is that a good thing that he has that purpose and that he's trying to do that thing? I don't know. Is that good? Um, but I think that that's a, that's a really good example of a movie that causes conversations and important mm. conversations mm. for people to have, because I think that that's even an example of how somebody who's well-intentioned that isn't just an insane person can tend towards an extreme position and doing, taking extreme action. Um, and it makes sense. It was done in a way that like, by the end you're like, Oh yeah, I see how you got to that point. But now I have to look inward and say, where am I at with some of these ideas and issues, the things that I care a lot about and mm. what am I going to do about it? Am I going to tend that way? Or, you know, are there other options that we can take here? Um, so yeah, really great movie. So, I'm glad that you put it that way uh, with the conversation starters uh, with these films, because like, that's what art is. It's a conversation. Yeah. And like the conversation that's left with the blob, both films. I mean, I, they're, they're both weird movies about a blob that eats people, <laughs> but like it sparked this conversation of like, for example, how we view our society, how we view our governments, how we, how we view authority figures, because like with the original film, don't blindly trust authority, but like there's, there was a respect given and received throughout, mm -hmm. you know, the film and everybody involved. And it's like, that's, that's something that's like an ideal to like strive towards. That's a moral yeah. to like give respect to your elders. Elders respect the younger generation because okay. you're passing the baton to them. And like, we should be working together and not have silos of like communication. Like everyone needs to be talking with each other. That's yeah. how we solve problems. And then like, with the remake, it's like we see how that is that just decays and is deconstructed and like the mm -hmm. problems that arise from that. Because like we watch the movie and then it's like, huh, well, that's uh that's what we should not strive towards. Yes. <laughs> how do we solve that? I don't know. That's why we're talking about it right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's where uh, I, I, would caution people telling stories, creating art to not feel like you need to go too far to presenting all the answers in right. any given story, because I think that's when it becomes inauthentic, but simply asking those questions uh, can be enough because the real people aren't going to watch a movie and be like, my mind was changed. You're right. <laughs> Great point. Um, but it's going to be when they talk about it with a close friend, somebody yes. that they trust and have a deeper conversation. And by the end of that conversation, they go, wow, I had never really thought about it like that. I might, I might think about this differently now. Um, so I totally agree that uh, any art, any story that can spark a conversation, that's I think what's doing its job. Yes, absolutely. You know, I didn't expect us to get this deep with the blob. <laughs> I was just going to talk about, <laughs> yes, I was just going to talk about how awesome the gore effects were in the, in the sequel. And I was like, this is awesome. This is such a great premise. I watched this as a kid. I loved it. It's yep. perfect for like younger people to like watch. It's like horror is great in that regard. <laughs> and then we're talking about like, oh, you know, uh, society needs to be updated and, you know, we need to respect each other. And it's like from the blob. <laughs> yep. From the blob. I love it. So let's get off the fence and we could close the show. So when this movie is inevitably remade, probably by Netflix, <laughs> will it be good or will it be bad I think it'll be bad yeah unfortunately yeah like we had the dinner already I mean we had yep. the appetizer it was a really good appetizer and then we had the dinner with the 1988 version it's like we're done 
yeah, we're done we're with the so blob. full. And then Netflix is going to bring in some like little Caesars and be like, you guys have some pizza yet? You want, you want dinner? And no, no, we just had some, some really good steak. We're, we're not hungry. Sorry. No, I just had this ribeye. Now you're bringing the hot and hot and ready. God, with breadsticks too. I'm full. I'm done. I don't want any of that. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be good. I think, I don't know what is wrong with Netflix because like they have like a few awesome shows. They have stranger things. Midnight Mass was fantastic. Yep. Yeah. And then you have like the really bad live action adaptations of like anime. It's like, <laughs> what the hell are they thinking? Like every single one has been a miss. And yeah. like we have remakes that no one asked for, like uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep, yep. It's like, it really feels like they're just like, it's like a spray and pray mentality. We'll just throw everything at the wall. And if a couple stick, maybe that's enough. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see in the next five years what happens to Netflix. Is their model sustainable or do they it's go not. away? Is there a new thing that comes and fills that role um, or advances it, I guess, uh, in the way that Netflix did to DVD rentals and things like that? They revolutionized the streaming industry, but what will be the next revolution? I don't know. Probably one app that has everything. You know, cable. <laughs> yeah, <right>. Cable's <laughs> going to come back. It's funny how everything's just being repackaged. God. It's like Netflix just needs to stop. If they just stopped all the original work and just went back to their roots and just had like curated yeah. awesome yeah. content from other people, they mm -hmm. would be they, they would be doing a good job. Yep. But like yep. Netflix is almost ex as expensive as HBO Max. And I'm sorry, but HBO Max <laughs> has better quality stuff than Netflix. That's true. It's true. Like I can watch almost anything on HBO and it will be good. It's like this is this is good stuff. This is made well. It's an awesome story. Netflix, if I just choose anything, more often than not, it's gonna be bad. Yeah. Pretty bad odds. Pretty it, bad odds. It's like, hmm. You have like awesome stuff like Queen's Gambit, and then you have crap like so many things. I'm not <laughs> even gonna name them. They're just so bad. But anyways. Yeah, the remake's gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> All that to say, if you were to re, if you were to do a sequel to the Blob, what would you do? I would definitely pick it up from the Mad Preacher at the end. I mean, they set it up so well. I think that that would make a really good. Um, I wonder if you could even take it in a different direction. Maybe try to make it a little bit different. Um, it just reminds me of the first season of True Detective, where they're in that kind of like zone, where there's these like preachers preaching about, you know, doomsday and things like oh. that. And there's like this religious element to it, but investigative. And so is there a way that you could kind of like tie it into more of that investigative mystery at first, but then it like turns into that thing. Uh, maybe, you know, you hold back the blob for a long time yes. until, and it is maybe back to the original 1958 where nobody really believes that anything's happening for longer. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to explore that idea and see how you could try to do something different rather than just, well, I guess we'll just see the blob kill more people for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's the easy way out. But yeah. like how you, oh man, you don't call it the blob. You call it something else. I don't know. Definitely. Yeah, that's a good point. And like maybe like episode seven, then you see the blob. It's like yes. oozing out. And it's like, that's how you do it. Yeah. That would be... That's how you do the blob now. It's it's the secondary action. It's yep. the background to the to what's happening in the forefront with the characters. <laughs> That's how you do it. All right, Netflix, you heard it here. So if you remake it, don't mess it up. So if you were to recommend the blob, which one would you recommend? 
to a friend. If you're only going to watch one, I'd say watch the 1988 one because it's just a better movie in general. Yeah. But uh, if you like it, definitely watch both. And I would say watch the 1958 one first because um, I think it's just interesting to see that progression in order that it actually happened. So highly recommend you watch both. But if you had to choose just one, I'd say just go for the 1988 one. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like the 1988 version is so much better. It has so much better special effects. The acting's great. There's even yeah. awesome comedic moments with like yeah. uh, the pharmacist. Uh, yes. <laughs> Ribbed. <laughs> turns around in his chair. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was so great. And then like, I like the part where, and this stood out to me as a kid where like, one of the characters, he's like on a date and he's like making out with his girlfriend uh, in the car and he goes through the trunk and he opens the trunk and it's a oh full bar. Gosh. Yeah. I'm like, and then he has like the whole box of rings yes. that he's like gives away to girls. Yes. <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm giving you my class ring. Doesn't yeah. that mean anything to you? And he has yeah. a whole I think box that's just a great them. example of visual storytelling, though. You learn so much about who that character is yes. from that moment that you like it, it's just so much, so much more effective than him saying it out loud or somebody saying it about him. (laughs) We just saw what kind of guy this is visually in a minute, you know? So that's why Frank Darabont, because he did the script. He's Mm -hmm. a fucking master storyteller over there. (laughs) Like he's so good. Like that's how you do it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would recommend the blob 1988, but if you want to blob it all day, like I did, I watched (laughs) both in one day. Oh, wow. That's a a lot. I'm going to watch the blob and I watched the blob remake and little did I know it was going to be a sequel. Yeah. So it's like this awesome universe. Yeah. Uh, on film. Put together. And then apparently there's the 1977, I think actual sequel apparently that, uh, that was created. So if anyone's seen that, definitely let us know in the comments. Cause I haven't watched it yet. It <laughs> looked really bad while I skimmed through it. Uh, I don't know if I will take the time to watch it, but if anyone's seen it, let us know. Is it on YouTube? Uh, I found it on the internet archive, I think. Oh, okay. It's probably on YouTube. Probably. <laughs> All right, Cam, are you ready to close this out? Sure am. All right, let's do this. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Blob. Please check them out where they are available. And before we sign off, thank you so much, Cam, for coming out to the show. This was great. Absolutely. It was a really good conversation. And like you said, surprised it got as deep as it did, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised because, you know, you're always going deep into these films. <laughs> So where can people reach you, Cam? Uh, well, I am on Instagram at Cam Lewis Film and uh, camlewisfilm.com as well. So. Awesome. When's Scones coming out? That's a great question. We're in five festivals now, uh, and there's a few more we need to hear from before we can break the seal on being on the internet because <laughs> they still want to want it off the internet to potentially say yes for a couple of more festivals, but hoping by the end of the year for sure that Scones will be available. Okay. Well, I can't wait to see that. And if you want, I would love to interview you exclusively about scones. Maybe one of your actors, too. It'd be yeah, a great absolutely. Time. That would be great. But if you'd like to keep this conversation going, please ask on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is Syndicate on Instagram and Letterboxd. Or you can join the Discord server where you can catch myself along with other podcasters and listeners talking about this film and others at Syndicate.com forward slash Discord. Until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. Beware of the blob, it creeps and leaps and glides and slides across the floor, right through the door and all around the wall. A splotch, a blotch, be careful of the blob.
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.